If you have a Bible, you can turn to Deuteronomy chapter 31. We will be reading today in, from verse 1 through 29. So Moses continued to speak these words to all Israel. And he said to them, I am 120 years old today. I am no longer able to go out and come in. The Lord has said to me, you shall not go over this Jordan. The Lord, your God himself, will go over before you. He will destroy these nations before you so that you shall dispossess them. And Joshua will go over at your head as the Lord has spoken. And the Lord will do to them as he did to Sion and Og, the kings of the Amorites, and to their land when he destroyed them. And the Lord will give them over to you, and you shall do to them according to the whole commandment that I have commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land the Lord has sworn to your fathers to give them, and you shall put them in possession of it. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Then Moses wrote this law and gave it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, and to all the elders of Israel. And Moses commanded them, At the end of every seven years, at the set time in the year of release, at the Feast of Booths, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place that he will choose, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Assemble the people, men, women, and little ones, and the sojourner within your towns, that they may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God, and be careful to do all the words of this law, and that their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, the days approach when you must die. Call Joshua and present yourselves in the tent of meeting that I may commission him. And Moses and Joshua went and presented themselves in the tent of meeting. And the Lord appeared in the tent in a pillar of cloud. And the pillar of cloud stood over the entrance of the tent. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, you are about to lie down with your fathers. Then this people will rise and whore after the foreign gods among them in that land that they are entering. And they will forsake me and break my covenant that I have made with them. Then my anger will be kindled against them in that day, and I will forsake them and hide my face from them, and they will be devoured. And many evils and troubles will come upon them, so that they will say in that day, Have not these evils come upon us, because our God is not among us? I will surely hide my face in that day, because of all the evil that they have done, because they have turned to other gods. Now, therefore... Write this song and teach it to the people of Israel. Put it in their mouths, that this song may be a witness for me against the people of Israel. For when I have brought them into the land flowing with milk and honey, which I swore to give their fathers, and they have eaten and are full and, have, and are grown fat, 
they will turn to other gods and serve them, and despise me and break my covenant. And when many evils and troubles have come upon them, this song shall confront them as a witness, for it will live unforgotten in the mouths of their offspring. For I know that they are inclined to do even today, before I have brought them into the land that I swore to give. So Moses wrote this song the same day and taught it to the people of Israel. And the Lord commissioned Joshua the son of Nun and said, Be strong and courageous, for you shall bring the people of Israel into the land that I swore to give them, and I will be with you. When Moses had finished writing the words of this law in a book to the very end, Moses commanded the Levites who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, Take this book of the law and put it by the side of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, that it may be there for a witness against you. For I know how rebellious and stubborn you are. Behold, even today, while I am still, while, while I am yet alive with you, you have been rebellious against the Lord. How much more after my death? Assemble to me all the elders of your tribes and your officers, that I may speak these words in their ears and call heaven and earth to witness against them. For I know that after my death you will surely act corruptly and turn aside from the way that I have commanded you. And in the days to come, evil will befall you, because you will do what is evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger through the works of your hands. This is the word of the Lord. Friends, our our lives are quite simply full of transitions. Uh, What's a transition? It's a, a turning point between old and new. When you're, when you're young, you might transition from living in one house to a new house, or from being at one school to a new school. Get a little older, and you'll transition from high school or college to your first job, or to, to grad school and more grad school, from being single to being married for some, or from having no children to having or five children. You, you may move from one city to a new city, or from working under old management to working under new management. At some point, if you have kids, you'll, you'll transition, at least this is the hope, from having all your kids in your home to having no kids at home, often followed by grandchildren. And eventually, most of us will go from independent living to assisted living. We could fill that out with plenty more transitions. But I mention these turning points, friends, because I want us to think about how we respond to transitions. Uh, They are both exciting and unsettling, in my experience. They are invigorating and challenging. They're, They're satisfying and they're stressful all at the same time. Some of them are filled with joy. Uh, Some of them are marked by sorrow. But whether you're you're presently navigating a transition, or you're about to hit one in 2024, or you're going to help someone else around you walk through a transition of some kind, I think Daniel Block is right when he writes, times of transition represent tests of faith. What does that mean? 
Well, I think what he's getting at is that, that it's easy in a transition for what's changing in your circumstances to be the only thing you're aware of. The only thing you see. To, to, for that, that change to occupy all your attention, all your energy, and, and to really quickly lose sight of the Lord. And, and the new co-workers, or the new house, or the new assignments, takes all your attention, all your energy, and crowds out your awareness of God. And, and your sensitivity to the Spirit. We can be so aware of what's changing around us that our conscious awareness of all the things of God just starts to fade from view. Times of transition are tests of faith. And the entire book of Deuteronomy, I hope you recognize this at, at this point in our series, the whole book sits at a turning point In the history of Israel. A major turning point. That the nation's about to transition from from life in the wilderness to life in the land of Canaan, the promised land. From living under Moses' leadership to living under Joshua, his successor. From, you know, the first generation to the second generation. And all that comes to a head in Deuteronomy 31. Moses has finished preaching all his sermons. In the Transjordan. They're about to enter the promised land, and as he wraps up, he says in verse 2, look there, Israel, I am 120 years old today. I am no longer able to go out and come in. How many of you think that is the understatement of the entire book of Deuteronomy? (laughs) I'm not sure I want to live to be 120 years old, But, but the leadership transition was not instigated by a decline in Moses' leadership abilities. He's not saying, well, given I can't see or think straight or even, you know, get out of my tent without some help, I'm not going to go with you. No. Deuteronomy 34.7. His eye, Moses' eye, was undimmed. His vigor unabated. Wouldn't be bad to be 120th. That was the case, right? So why couldn't he go in? Why does he tell Israel, I'm not going in with you? Well, because that was an expression of the Lord's loving discipline in Moses' life. If you think back to Numbers 20, he's, he's confronted by persistent grumbling among the people of Israel. And he responds with anger instead of obedience. The Lord commanded him to to speak to the rock. That water might come out for the nation. And instead of speaking, he struck the rock. He was angry. He didn't do it just once. He did it twice. He he publicly dishonored the Lord. And and verse 2 summarizes the Lord's response. The consequence of that sin, you shall not go over this Jordan, Moses. Mind you, he was the only leader Israel had ever known. He led Israel out of Egypt in the wilderness 
as long as I've been alive. 40 years. That's a long time. It's a major transition on multiple levels, and Moses knows that. And so here in Deuteronomy 31, he equips Israel and her leaders with wisdom for the transition. It's a big transition, and he's equipping them with wisdom for it. I I do not know, friend, all the transitions the next year will bring for you. I am thankful in the providence of God that this passage comes our way on the first Sunday we are gathering in 2024. Because I'm convinced all kinds of transitions you don't see coming are waiting for you. It's not a matter of if, but, but when. And friends, the same thing Israel needed to focus on in the midst of this transition is the exact same list of things we need to focus on in whatever transition is coming our way this year. That, that's not me being a prophet of doom and gloom. Oh, I'm going to go away and a new leader. I'm not saying that. I just know this year's going to be full of transitions. And what we need to know and do in all our transitions is no different than Israel. We need to take courage in the presence of a conquering king. We need to attend to the word that we may fear and obey the Lord. We need to remember God is faithful even when we are not. And we're going to look at each of those principles in turn. Okay? This is a three-point message. What do we do in our transitions? Point number one, take courage in the presence of a conquering king. The next transition that comes your way, what are you going to do? First thing, verses 1 through 8, take courage in the presence of a conquering king. It is striking here, friends, that at the beginning of the chapter, after he announces this leadership transition, Moses does not do what pretty much every business expert in this nation would have counseled him to do. He does not pull out all his contingency planning that he's done for the future. He does not trumpet or proclaim or testify to Joshua's amazing leadership skills. He does not say to Israel, because I've set this up, you're going to be fine. Because I've taught Joshua all these things, you're going to be great. He doesn't point to a human being. He immediately directs Israel's attention to the Lord. Look at verse 3. The Lord your God himself will go before you. You got a transition coming up, Israel. Start here. The Lord your God himself will go before you. You know what's so striking about that? It is the opposite of what he did in Numbers 20. He struck the rock because he forgot the Lord was ultimately at the head of his people. Right? He, he, he interpreted their criticism, their grumbling, complaining, as a personal attack, and he, and he responded with anger instead of remembering, recognizing the battle is the Lord. He, he forgot that the weight of the nation rested on God's shoulders. Not his. And this time, 
This is why I say it's amazing. This time, Moses perceives what's true. He, he reinforces a, a God-centered view of biblical leadership. What, what's he tell the nation? Israel, the Lord is your shepherd. I'm not, I'm not ultimately your shepherd. I, I'm not ultimately the head of this people. God's always been. He always will be. The Lord is your shepherd. The one who's always gone before you will continue to go before you. I'm departing, guys, but God is not. And his presence is what matters. You look at verses 1 to 5, and and the emphasis in this entire first section is on what God has done for his people in the past and what God's going to continue to do for his people in the future. It's it's a God-centered view of leadership. You will what? Dispossess these nations. Why? Because Joshua is amazing. No, because the Lord will destroy these nations. What God has done before in defeating Sihon and Og, God will certainly do again. The Lord will what? Look at all the active verbs. The Lord will go. The Lord will destroy. The Lord has spoken. The Lord will act. The Lord will give. The Lord, the Lord, the Lord. It's, It's all Moses can see. That's what we need to see in our transitions. Israel, the Lord will accomplish the work he has called you to do. And he'll even provide the human leaders you need along the way. Look at verse 3. Joshua will go over at your head. Yes, this is a big transition, Israel. But but keep your eyes on the Lord. It's it's his covenant faithfulness that's going to enable your covenant obedience. And verse 6 captures the appropriate response. Look there. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. I have been thinking about that little word, them, this week. I love the fact that that little word, them, is in that sentence. What am I talking about? (laughs) Because it reminds us our fears and anxieties. The them was the Canaanites, right? The scary people in the land. It reminds us our fears and anxieties are not unknown or hidden from our Heavenly Father. You think about that? Moses doesn't say, you speak on the Lord's behalf, Israel, just be strong and courageous. Don't be a fearful people. Don't be a full of dread people. Be a positive, I got this, we can rock it for Jesus kind of people. Come on, play some loud music. No, 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 no. He, He gets down beside Israel like a good dad. I mean, the Lord's doing this here, right? He puts his arm on their shoulder. He He points at the very thing they're afraid of. That friend, that relationship, that conversation, that decision. He says, Israel, look at that. You ready? Don't be afraid of them. Of them. The God who sees them 
fully and knows them intimately. It says to you, do not be afraid. Do not be in dread. To which I say, why not, Moses? <laughs> I appreciate the specific reminder that God sees and knows my fears intimately. And that sort of teased me up, as it should, to be inclined to trust his words of comfort because my fears are not just an abstract unknown. He gets the details. But why not be afraid? The fact that God knows my fears doesn't necessarily tell me I shouldn't be afraid. And last time I checked, those Canaanites are pretty nasty, and the potential client I'm meeting with at the office tomorrow is notoriously unpleasant. Why should I not be in dread? Look back at verse 6. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For, reason, it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Christian, do you realize God has not given you a better gift? A gift overflowing with more encouragement, more consolation, more life-giving, endurance-producing, joy-sustaining power than the gift of his presence. Galatians 4, verse 6. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son, where? Into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Into our hearts. On this side of Jesus' life, death, resurrection, you realize God's presence is a reality with his people in a far greater way than it ever was with Israel on the banks of the Jordan. That's what Paul's saying here. Because God, today, doesn't dwell in a tent in the middle of that foyer. He what? He sends his spirit into our very hearts so that we're never alone. Where we go, God goes. That's the point, okay? When you go into that bedroom, that classroom, that boardroom, God goes into that bedroom and that classroom and that boardroom. He sent his spirit into your very heart. What what strength that affords for a new year, friend. What strength. People may leave you or forsake you when you least expect it this year. Your God will not. Your God will never. Christian, is that the happy source of your confidence for tomorrow? Or something something else the reason you're optimistic about 2024? Something that maybe looks a lot like the money you have in your bank account. Or the performance eval you just got that was good. Or the promotion you received or The fact that maybe you just look at the next week and next year and it looks like everything you're supposed to do or going to have to do is is just all things you've done a thousand times before. So because of that, I'm optimistic. Is your experience or skill the ground of your hope? Or the profound reality that in all God has set before you, he will be with you.
I can hear one voice of response saying, you, you bet it is, Pastor. I know God's with me. I've always believed in God. I've, I've always known God is with me. I don't agree, let alone practice everything the Bible says, but I'm, I'm definitely a spiritual person. It's good to hear a positive message from the pulpit, you know. God is with me. I mean, nobody's going to stone you for that. <laughs> of course God's with me. He's, he's with everyone, right? Isn't that what you're saying? No, I'm not. I'm not. And friend, if that describes how you think or feel on any level, I have a warning for you. Look back at chapter 31. Do not unhinge the promise in verse 6 from the pattern in verse 5. Don't do that. The promise in verse 6, God will be with you, is not a universal. It's not true for all people in all times, in all places. It is only true for those who are living in obedient submission to God's word. Verse 5, you shall do to the Canaanites according to the whole commandment that I have commanded you. That's the pattern. That's the lane. And only where that pattern is present and Israel is running in that lane is the promise in verse 6 true. Think of it this way. Only on the road of covenant obedience only in the context of keeping the whole commandment. Does Israel have cause to be strong and courageous? Do not, here's the point, here's the warning, do not presume on the promise of God's presence in your life, friend, absent a pattern of obedience that demonstrates you are a genuine member of the people of God, not a pretender. That's the warning. Showing up to church on a Sunday doesn't mean God is with you. Reading your Bible this year does not mean God is with you. Hanging out with Christian friends, growing up in a Christian family, that doesn't mean God is with you. He only pours out the spirit of his son into the hearts of adopted sons and daughters who have turned away from sin and bowed their knee to King Jesus. To trust him, to obey him. And and friend, if you've done that, then know this. Take heart in this. The God who is with you, Christian, is not a sympathetic weakling who can do no more than send praying emojis, tearful, whatever, smiley faces, and just hand out tissues to you this year. That's not the with me kind of God Moses is speaking of here. He is a God who conquers. He's a God who triumphs. He only has undefeated seasons. He's always been victorious. He's always going to be victorious. And listen, he has done something far greater than defeat Sion and Og and the Transjordan a few thousand years ago. You know what he's done? He's defeated sin and death at the cross of Jesus Christ. 
That's why you can say with confidence, he's not a, a, he's not a paltry godlet. <laughs> he's a conquering king. That is the God who is with you. And hear this. The presence of a conquering king is, is not just something that God's people categorically take heart in. Though we should. It's also true for those to whom the Lord has entrusted leadership responsibility. You know, maybe you head into this year and you're very aware people around you look to you for guidance. Or your employees are depending on the work you do to provide for themselves and their family. Do, do you, maybe you feel the weight. You're an elder in our church. You feel the weight of helping the flock of God arrive safely home. That's you? Friend, fear not. Look at verse 8. This isn't just true for Israel. This is true for Joshua. It is the Lord, Moses says to Joshua, who goes before you, pal. Before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. You can rely on the gift of his presence no less than those you lead. Thank God that his promised presence with his people is not just a a categorical, generically helpful, nice thought. It's a personal guarantee from the Lord of hosts. As the Father was with Joshua in his mission and with Jesus in his mission, so he is with you in your mission, Christian. As Jesus says in Matthew 28, 20, Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. First transition that hits you this year, here's play number one. What do you do? Same thing Israel had to do. We take heart in the presence of a conquering king. That's what we do, okay? Here's the second thing. Attend to the word that you may fear and obey the Lord. Transition comes your way, take heart. Yes, but don't stop there. Verses 9 to 13, attend to the word that you may learn to fear and obey the Lord. You realize for 40 years, Moses mediated God's word or God's law to his people. By that, it simply means the Lord spoke directly to Moses. Moses turned around and delivered to Israel everything that the Lord had told him. They, They got the word in a through Moses kind of way. Which leads to the question, how are, they going to, how are they going to receive God's word after Moses is gone? Well, verse 9 gives the solution. Moses wrote God's word down. Great move. <laughs> and entrusted to the priests and the elders, to, to the leaders that were responsible for the, the physical and spiritual well-being of the nation. And at that point, he institutes a new tradition of reading the entire law to the entire nation. Look at verse 10. Moses commanded them at the end of every seven years, at the set time in the year of release, the Feast of Booze, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God, at the place that he will choose, you shall read this law. Read this law. I want you to notice three things here about the spiritual rhythm the Lord institutes for Israel through Moses. First, notice the context of God's word. What's the context? The timing of this reading is not random. It's not, it's not an accident. It's during the year of release. 
fear of release. Every seven years, Deuteronomy 15 required Israel to observe a Sabbath year or a year of release where some amazing things had to happen. Um, outstanding debts had to be canceled. Um, indentured servants had to be set free. It, it was a national celebration of God's redeeming and saving power. Deuteronomy 15, 15, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this day. So why read the law during the year of release? We're remembering redemption, remembering salvation. Why, why read the law at that particular point? Well, because it would remind Israel that the law is not a cruel imposition or an unfortunate duty, friend. It is the God who gave them life Marking out the path of life. It's the appropriate response to God's amazing grace. It's what the obedience of faith looks like in action. That's why you read it then. But they weren't just to read God's word during the year of release. They were to read it specifically during the Feast of Booze. What's that? Well, that's Israel's annual Thanksgiving holiday. (laughs) It comes at the end of harvest. The nation's giving thanks for another year of God's God's material provision. So what's the context of the reading? It's the context of remembering God's salvation in the past and giving thanks for God's provision in the present. That is when the word of God comes. Why? Because it's past salvation, present provision, those two spiritual realities, that compel and enable us to obey the law of the Lord. Then and now. Listen to Titus 2.11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. That's the year of release. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. In other words, grace doesn't remove our responsibility to obey the Lord. Grace is what compels and enables us to obey the Lord. True today, true back then. That's the context. Second, notice notice the audience of God's word. Look at verse 12. Assemble the people, men, women, and little ones, and the sojourner within your town. Nobody's left out. You realize that. What's his point? Our need for the word of God is universal. It's not just, well, you know, if you're having a hard day, you might want to check out what God has to say. Or, hey, you know, you arrive at a transition. Um, the pastor is going to ask you if you've been reading your Bible. So why don't you get three days under your belt so when he asks you, you can say yes. <laughs> like, no. No. The need is universal and the need is continual. Look at verse 13. Moses, Moses assumes here, this is provoking, that the adult men and women in the nation already know it. But knowing God's word in the past and remembering God's word in the present are not the same thing. Because we forget, don't we? We forget all the time. Our our spiritual senses grow dull. We we lose sight of the, the power and the presence and the goodness of God. Sometimes a sleepless night is all it takes. And that's why establishing a regular pattern of hearing and reading God's word in your life is so important, friend. Critically important. That 
The national rhythm that Moses launches here was designed to teach Israel something profound about her most basic spiritual need. Deuteronomy 8 verse 3. Man does not live by bread alone. But man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. You are not an exception to that truth. You're just like Israel. I'm just like Israel. Friend, that means your spiritual growth next year, before transition, after transition, in transition, it's directly proportional to your diligence to read and study God's word. If you, if you want to exercise more, what do you need this month? You need a fitness plan. Newsflash. If you want to save more money, what do you need? You need a financial plan, right? If you want to read God's word more regularly, what do you need? Well, you need a reading plan. (laughs) Very basic, okay? There, There are plenty available online or in various Bible apps. I'd simply say this as we head into January. Which plan you choose is far less important than the fact that you have a plan, okay? And second, that whatever plan you choose, it not be so hard and so lofty. I'm going to read eight chapters of the Bible twice a day. No, you're not. (laughs) I mean, do if you want to. (laughs) You probably won't. Don't choose something that's so hard that, that you're ready to quit in four days, okay? What's the point? We don't live by bread alone. We live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We need to attend to the word. We don't outgrow our need for that, no matter how old you are or how many times you've heard this same thing before. The context matters, the audience matters. Lastly, under this point, to notice the purpose of God's word. Look back at verse 12. Why does everyone need to hear the law? This is where I want to linger for a minute. That they may learn to fear the Lord your God and be careful to do all the words of his law. Slow down and think about that. When we hear the word, we learn to fear the Lord. And when we learn to fear the Lord, we come to obey the Lord. Hearing leads to what? Fearing, which leads to what? Obeying. Hearing, fearing, obeying. Can you say it with me? Hearing, fearing, obeying. There's a connection. Unless I preach three sermons, I want to park on the middle one, the fearing part, okay? How would most people, including many Christians, People you know, talk to online. How would they describe the point of the Bible? What's the, what is the Bible? I think many people would say it's, it's a rule book for life. It's a rule book for life. Maybe you've heard that before. It's, it's a list of do's. It's a list of don'ts. So, so what do we do when we do Bible reading? Well, we, we open up a chapter, we read it, and then we pray like this. Lord, help me to, to do A, B, and C. Help me to not do E, D, and F. In Jesus' name, amen. And then we go off to the next thing. Would it surprise you if I told you 
That is not the point of Scripture. At least not initially. (laughs) Or firstly. Or primarily. In verse 12, notice, hearing, fearing, obeying. Notice, behavioral obedience is the secondary goal of hearing the law. What's the primary goal? Fearing. Fearing. Fearing the Lord comes first. What's it mean to fear the Lord? It means our hearts are are filled with, with a trembling awe of who he is. A trembling awe of his his power, his majesty, his his steadfast love. Fearing the Lord means being amazed by the Lord, delighting in him, rejoicing in him at the level of your affections. Think of it this way. The point of the Bible, this may be new for some of you, the point of the Bible is not just to teach you to play by God's rules. My parents have rules. The Bible is like God's rules. Everybody's got rules. I guess I just have to sort of get with the rules and... No, no. The point of the Bible, fundamentally, is to reveal God's greatness and God's goodness to you so that Jesus becomes your greatest treasure, friend. That's the primary point of Scripture. In other words, Scripture, this whole book, not just Deuteronomy, the whole book, it doesn't just exist to fill your mind with Bible facts or to change your behavior, keep the rules. No, it exists. God's given it to us that we might learn to fear the Lord, to stand in awe of the Lord. So so the next time, let's make this practical. The next time you read something in Scripture, or you hear someone else reading Scripture, ask this question. How does what I'm hearing, or what I just read in this passage, how does this reveal something amazing about God? How does this reveal something amazing about God? If that is the only question you ask when you read the Bible this year, you're going to be fine. Because <laughs> everything else flows out of that, right? How, how does this reveal something amazing about God? And don't stop thinking about that until you have at least one answer. And if you feel stuck, don't be ashamed. Ask someone who's older in the faith, Christian parent, Christian friend, to help you or, or stop by the bookshop this morning, you can grab a copy of, of Jonathan Pennington's book, Come and See. We taught a Sunday school class on that last year. The point is that hearing the word does not result in obeying the Lord, absent the fear of the Lord. That's the point. So I have another warning for you as we head into a new year, okay? If you just try to do it this year, Pastor, this year I'm going to do it. (laughs) I'm going to be patient. (laughs) My wife's been wanting me to do that for 44 years. This year, I'm going to be patient. I'm going to be courageous. I'm going to be diligent. I'm going to do it. (laughs) You try to do that apart from fearing the Lord you're going to flop on your way to the parking lot. (laughs) It's not going to work. It's never worked. It's like 
Trying to do those things, absent the fear of the Lord, it's like trying to drive a car with no gas in the tank. The, the fear of the Lord is the fuel of obedience. That's why there's a hearing leading to fearing, leading to obeying. Because when we learn to fear the Lord, obedience becomes a joy. Not a burden, not a rule, because why? We've tasted and seen in the pages of Scripture that the Lord is good. That he's beautiful. That he's amazing. Parents, that process, hearing, fearing, doing, attending to the word, that we may learn to fear and obey the Lord, that includes your kids. Look at verse 13 if you haven't already. Your job as a parent is not primarily to show them all of the rules in God's word so that they get with the program and toe the line and make you look good and participate dutifully in Sunday school with their tie just right. <laughs> it's like, no, no. The goal of your instruction from Scripture is to impart to your kids by the grace of God, only possible through the help of the Spirit, a what? A taste of what it means to stand in awe of the King. That's what my mom and dad gave me. It's what I want to give my kids. What, one of my favorite, my favorite things to do, I wish he was in this room, but he's in King's Kids. Favorite things to do with my nine-year-old son, Tyler, is to sit on his bed at night. We've been doing this for a while. Read stories from the Old Testament. And just marvel with my little guy at the majesty and mercy of God. A couple weeks ago, I, I said, okay, Tyler, tonight we're going to go to Isaiah 36. He's like, okay, Dad. He has no clue what that's about. <laughs> and I said, well, I want to read a story about a bad guy named Sennacherib. who was an Assyrian who attacked Jerusalem during the reign of King Hezekiah. And the Assyrian soldier calls out to the Israelites on the wall, my paraphrase, don't trust God. Don't listen to Hezekiah. Your God can't save you from me. And I turned to Tyler and I said, buddy, what do you think is going to happen next? <laughs> this made my night, friends. Tyler says, that's not true. God's going to do something, Dad. God's going to do something, Dad. And then he was just, so what's he going to do? I don't know. He's going to do something. I love that. that. That brought me so much joy. Tyler didn't know what God was going to do. He didn't know how God was going to do it. But my nine-year-old is learning by the grace of God that our God is a God who works wonders. He's not a little godlet. He's a, he's a mighty king. A great king. He does amazing things for his people. Tyler is learning to fear the Lord. That's the point. And that's not because I'm an amazing parent. That's, that's just the effect of hearing the word of God. Hearing leads to fearing leads to doing. No matter what transition awaits you this year, friend, attend to the word.
so that you might, in your hearing, learn to fear and do. Lastly, we'll end with this. In your transitions, remember God is faithful even when we are not. God is faithful even when we are not. In the second half of this whole chapter, the Lord tells Moses what's going to happen to Israel after he's gone. And it is not good news. Look at verse 16. This people will rise and whore after the foreign gods among them and the land that they are entering. And they will forsake me and break my covenant that I have made with them. That's what's going to happen, Moses. Friend, you realize when we break God's law, it's always relational like that. Satan loves to depersonalize our disobedience. You're not harming or hurting anyone, friend. You're, you're just simply doing what works for you. Not true. Not true. Look at verse 16. Look, look carefully. Notice how many times the words me, my, I and them show up in that verse. Loaded with personal words. If you, what's his point? If you reject God's word and go your own way, you're not just doing you this year. You're betraying the Lord. You're rebelling against the Lord. How does the Lord promise he'll respond? Look at verse 17. Then my anger will be kindled against them in that day. And I will forsake them and hide my face from them and they will be devoured. The injustice of sin or our failure to give God the honor he deserves always arouses God's righteous anger. And please know, when God says here in this verse, I will forsake them, he's not contradicting or backpedaling on the promise he just made in verse 6. No, he's reminding Israel that he will not pretend she is his people if an unrepentant pattern of sin in her life clearly demonstrates she is not his people. He won't play that game. Friend, if you reject Jesus' invitation to come to him and find forgiveness and freedom and, and joy on the path of repentance, you reject that invitation, you will experience the just consequences of the choice you have made. God will refuse to number you among his people. He will forsake you. God will withhold the smile of his favor the satisfying sight of his, his glory. He will hide his face from you. And as Assyria and Babylon eventually devoured Israel, so death will overtake you, my friend. Eternal death. You will be devoured. Why? Because you have abandoned the Lord of life. For the sake of his glory and our eternal good, God is not and cannot respond with neutrality or indifference or I'm with Switzerland <laughs> in response to sin. 
judgment against Israel on account of her sin is assured. And listen, Jesus' response to us today is no different. 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now at this point, of course, both, both the height of Israel's rebellion and God's devastating judgment, it, it all lies in the future. So what does God do in the present? That's coming. So what's he do in the present? Well, what would you do in the present? Think about it. If you knew a spouse or someone you were dating was going to be persistently unfaithful, would you marry them? I doubt it. If you know for certain this is where this relationship is heading, my response, I, I'm out. I'm out. I'm not signing up for that. But that is not how the Lord responds. Look at verse 21. He's intimately familiar with Israel's unfaithfulness. For I know what they are inclined to do even today, <laughs> before I've brought them into the land that I swore to give. Moses, I see clearer than anybody else. Unfaithfulness is the train coming down the tracks. But that doesn't stop the Lord from keeping his covenant promises. He remains faithful even when we are not. And Deuteronomy 31, the second half, it emphasizes God's faithfulness in a profound way, friend. Did you notice? Notice this. Look at your Bible or your phone, whatever, whatever you're reading scripture on, okay? Notice what, what surrounds the Lord's description of Israel's unfaithfulness in verses 16 through 22. What surrounds it? What are the bookends? It's, it's God's faithfulness, both sides, to commission Joshua to lead Israel into the land that he promised he would give their fathers. Those are the bookends. God's, God's faithfulness in verses 14 and 15 and in verse 23 literally surrounds Israel's unfaithfulness in verses 16 through 22, which means what? The Lord does not say, you know what, guys? I gave you one deliverer. His name was Moses. You treated him like dirt. No kidding. I'm aware that's just going to continue. So good luck on your road. No. It's not how he responds. He, he provides Joshua. He gives Joshua, whose name literally means what? Yahweh saves. Yahweh saves. And after Joshua, he raised up judges. After judges, he raised up kings, and after kings came the prophets, and, and ultimately, God sent his own son to accomplish the greatest act of salvation the world has ever seen. That's the God that we serve. Yes, Yahweh will be faithful in judgment, but he is also going to be faithful in salvation. He, he even teaches Israel an unforgettable song. So that when they've wandered, when they've gone astray, they'll remember the words of this song and it will help them recognize we need to turn back to the Lord. We're going to spend all next Sunday on the song. 
And it's a long song, so buckle your seatbelt next week. But, but let's end with just recognizing what this song represents. Look at verse 21 again. When many evils and troubles have come upon them, this song shall confront them as a witness, for it will live unforgotten in the mouths of their offspring. How, how will the song confront them as a witness in the future? When they're in a mess. How's it going to do that? Well, it's, it's going to testify to the truth of Israel's relationship with the Lord. When she's suffering because of her sin, that song will whisper, son, daughter, you need to repent. You need to come home. You need to turn back to the lover of your soul. The Lord knows songs are powerful things. You know they still are powerful things? Songs are powerful things. They, they don't just speak to us at the level of our thoughts. They speak to us at the level of our emotions, what we feel, our affections. What you listen to this year, my friend, the songs that fill your ears, will determine your functional theology. The songs you listen to, will, they, will, they will persuade you to embrace the truth about God as a faithful witness. Or they'll persuade you to embrace lies about God as false witnesses. Either way, they witness. And that's why we have, to, we have to be ever so careful in choosing the songs that we sing on a Sunday morning like this. I put it this way. There's a world of difference between taking refuge in karma, no offense to all you Taylor Swift folks, Okay? Or your subjective sense that last night wasn't the last night for all you country people. World of difference between taking refuge in that and taking refuge in the goodness of God. Newsflash I listen to all kinds of non Christian music. <laughs> but as my wife so wonderfully said once to our kids, boys, that stuff's like junk food. A little bit, it's a gift from the Lord in its right context in the right way. That becomes your diet, it will kill you. It'll kill you. Take heed to what the songs around you are witnessing to this year. We need Christ-centered, theologically rich songs that help us remember God is faithful even when we are not. Think of it this way. When the Lord commissions Joshua in this chapter, he's reminding Israel, I'm going to provide the Savior. And when he teased them up to receive the song, he's reminding Israel, and I'm also going to give you a song to help you see your need for the Savior I'm going to provide. In both ways, God shouts here, I'm going to be faithful, even when you're not. Friends, that's our hope no matter what this year holds. May we navigate our coming transitions in a way that pleases the Lord.